Hey, everybody. All right, how we doing? How's your week been? All right, lot, lots of goods. Any, I'm going to tell you, my week has been significantly below average. Anybody with me? Anybody else had one of those and okay with just saying it? It has. Man, last week, Jose tells me, hey, I, you're up. And I'm like, all right, what's happening? He's like, all right, we're in the Sermon on the Mount series. We're going through it. He said, I just need you to talk about adultery, divorce, and keeping your word. <laughs> I'm like, well, that stinks, man. Is there anything else? He's like, no, it's expository. You go, well, like, it's in order. That's how we do it. I'm like, well, I don't like your order. And he said, well, I didn't order it. God ordered it, and you're up. So I was like, all right, and pondering that. And then we had a, a counseling session with some people that we, that we care about, and uh, their marriage is, one of them just is done. They just don't, don't want to go anymore. Um, for no real, they, we're going to talk about this, man. There are reasons. Marriage doesn't always work. I get that. Even God acknowledges that. But man, this couple, they didn't have those reasons. And it was so disheartening, um, knowing what it was going to do to their family. And uh, man, went to the next day and kind of still kind of grumpy. And, and uh, man, ran across this family that um, was struggling because uh, the people they knew were, were redefining what family looks like. I mean, in a, in a way that didn't make any sense. Like it doesn't even make common sense the way they were redefining family. And they were going to do family different because it's cool and hip. And uh, then people that I know and respect were actually, I thought I respected, were actually supporting this decision to do family in this crazy way. And I was getting more grumpy and more frustrated. And I was depressed at that point. I'm just kind of hanging out. And the, Christina's like, get out of bed and get out there, sucker. You got stuff to do. And I'm like, no, I just want to be here grumpy and in bed. And uh, But I did. I, man, I tried and tried to suck it up. We actually I had a good thing happen. My 21-year-old turned 21, son, 21 this week. So that was pretty exciting. That was a highlight. And then I went back to grumpy. But then, then, man, uh, Thursday rolled around, and we got this group of guys. I don't know if you know this, but our, our church staff, the guys on our staff get together on Thursdays. We call it 2717. And so Jose and, and Ben and Randy and Tyler and JD and Bob and a couple of others, you know, from time to time. But we all showed up on Thursday, and I hope you have a group of people that, that you hang out with that can pull you out of the funk when you're in it, that can encourage you and support you when you're in a tough spot. That's what community groups are about. And uh, that's what good friends are about. I, I hope that you have that. And don't get me wrong, sometimes Thursday mornings I show up and we spend most of the time trying to teach the young guys about stuff from the 80s, like who Phil Collins is and stuff like that. And they spend a lot of time trying to teach us how to like get our phone to upload to the iCloud and stuff like that. And so we, that's what a lot of it is. But sometimes we're actually doing meaty stuff. And this week was super good because I just read these passages and went over them and these guys gave me feedback and help and uh, so that's what got us to what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about these verses in Matthew chapter 5 in these three sections. We're in a cool part. We're in this kingdom manifesto which is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's kind of God saying this is Jesus saying this is what it's like to live in the kingdom. He's talking to his disciples and then there's a huge crowd around that's listening as well and uh Jose said last week that it's, it's about us living from the inside out. Like it's not just about what the outward appearance is or doing the right thing. It's about having the right heart and the right motivations inside you. And that's powerful because what's inside you ends up coming out. And we need to figure out how to not just behave the way we're supposed to, but actually think and feel what we need to so that we're faithful and so that we don't have to fight 
some of the same temptations that the rest of the world fights. And that's what this section is about because, man, Jesus wasn't really happy about people who on the outside looked one way and on the inside felt differently. God in the Old Testament, you know, said, hey, I don't look at the outward appearance. You know, I, I, look, I look at the heart when I see people. And Jesus continued that thought on forward. And that's why in Matthew 23, he's talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law who were trying to do everything right. And he describes them this way. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Yuck, that's a terrible metaphor. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Man, I don't want to be like that. But I can be like that sometimes if I'm just faking it to make it. If all I'm trying to do is just pretending because my heart's terrible, but I'm trying to make sure everybody else thinks I'm okay, that's not what God's excited about because God sees what's going on inside me. And that's why Jose showed us those concentric circles last week where, you know, the heart is in the middle and what's going on in our heart as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. That's, that affects our mind and how, how we see and feel about the world, which affects our body and how we actually act and interact ultimately in our relationships. And it all starts at the heart. Psychologically, that's where we always want to get when we're trying to help somebody, right? We want to try to get to that place on the inside that's causing the behavior that's frustrating to them so real healing can happen. That takes work. So the first point from last week that carries over to this week is that, hey, God is more interested in your heart than anything else. Because that gets right, the rest of it takes care of itself. And then, then we get back into the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so we're going to start, you know, with this Matthew 5, 20, which is where we were last week, because it's an important verse. Bob helped me in 27, 17, kind of help flesh these verses out. And uh, what it says is, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's just be clear. We just read that the Pharisees, they weren't that impressive in their righteousness, right? So you may be saying to yourself, well, I think I could be better than a whitewashed tomb. I could probably exceed that. But when Jesus was teaching this to his disciples, they thought the Pharisees were it. They thought they had it all together. And just in case you think, all right, well, I know now better. They didn't have it all together. I could surpass that righteousness. You need to understand that consistently in the Bible, all the way to Romans, it says this, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What are we trying to say here? You're not going to get good enough. Your heart's not going to get right enough. Your behavior's not going to get pure enough. We're all going to fall short. And that's where Jesus comes in. He's here to save us so that we can have something better. We doesn't mean we don't try because of his righteousness that he's given to us. We want to do better in these areas. We want to do better with anger, which Jose talked about last week, but we all fall short of that. And we want to do better in these areas that we're going to talk about this week. So that's the second point. We're, we're, not, we're not going to get there. We're not going to be good enough. We need a Savior. We need to be willing to submit ourselves to that. So let's jump into these three areas. That uh, You guys remember from English back when you were learning to write in paragraphs and learning to write like, like expanded out, maybe a, like a whole story, like I remember my English teacher saying, look, five paragraphs, is, it's the magic formula, right? So the first paragraph is the introduction. 
And you do the introduction, and then the last sentence of the introductory paragraph. Anybody remember what, do you have an English teacher? Thesis statement, right? That's your thesis statement. Absolutely. Look at these college kids are killing it back there. No, I was probably, you're past college now. You see, Texas State graduates. These guys are killing it. The thesis statement, right? And then after the thesis statement, you got three paragraphs. Some of you are freaking out, like, is this an English lesson? Really? I didn't come for that. Yeah, then there's these three paragraphs that support your thesis. Each one has a topic that supports the thesis statement. And then the fifth paragraph, that's your conclusion. Now, that's how most of us were taught to write. That's actually what is happening in this section in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you skip all the way back up to Matthew 5, 17, that's kind of the start of the introductory paragraph. And you get down to verse 20, and that's the thesis statement. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then instead of three paragraphs, Jesus is an overachiever. He gives us six paragraphs. And each one of them is to help illustrate the fact that we aren't going to be righteous enough. So we started with anger, and he went over that. And now we get to today, adultery. Yeah. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Wow. All right. When I first read this, I had this great sermon illustration where I would bring a stick and I would whittle it for the first 10 minutes of my talk. And then I would actually invite anybody who felt like they had lusted in their heart looking at another person to come up and we would just poke our right eyes out. And uh, I would have to poke mine out first, um, which would make it harder to hit y'all's right eye. But we would do the best that we could with that. The good news is, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. Back to English class. Man, Miss Peck would be so proud of me today. I hope she's watching. Hyperbole is intentional exaggeration. That's what Jesus is using here. Intentional exaggeration to make a point. He's not into self-mutilation, thankfully. He's just intentionally trying to make a point. You do this. Your parents, you know, we do this. I say to my kids, you keep talking to your mom that way, you'd be better to go jump off the roof and land on your head than keep going the way you're going. You know, you say stuff like that to your kids, you speak in hyperbole to make a point. I don't want them to jump off the roof because then I have to take them to the hospital and ruin my whole day. So I don't want them to do that. But that's how we talk sometimes. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how significant this is. And you guys know, I don't have to give you the statistics. We live in a culture where lust and pornography are incredibly prevalent. And uh, don't get caught up because Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's kind of referring in the masculine sense to men here. Don't get caught up in the thought that this is just about men. Men, women, college students, high schoolers, junior hires all face, unfortunately, the temptations that come from lust and pornography. The good news is there's help. There are resources out there. There's great ministry in San Antonio. A guy I know has Be Broken. Great ministry, uh, prayer opportunity. If this is something you're struggling with, don't, don't stop before you get the help that you need. God 
These things we're talking about, man, they're not because God's just sitting down there going, you guys are screwing it up. They're, they're that way because he loves you. So I don't know how better to illustrate this than to try to kind of make it tangible for you. Uh, Proverbs 5 is a great chapter to go to if you want to look at sex and the, and the good, the bad, and the ugly on, on sex and lust in our culture. So um, Cody... I've asked Cody to come up here. He has no idea what I'm asking him to come up here to do, but he's a trooper, so can you come up here, bud? All right, there you go. Give him a hand. All right. So uh, Proverbs 5 is basically an older, wise person, played by me, um, talking to a younger person who they really care about. So this is kind of the... This is kind of the Cypress Creek paraphrase that I'm about to give you acted out here of Proverbs 5. You're welcome to, to read through that. Um, but buddy, I knew this might be a mistake, but I was going to try. Um, <laughs> we, you and I, we, we talk a lot about uh, wisdom and, and leadership, right? Um, and character. And that's how Proverbs 5 starts out, this man talking about that. And... Um, how important it is, not just that you know information, but that, that you apply it, right, in your life. And that, that's the difference between knowledge and, and wisdom, the discernment to apply in your life. And I want you to do that with, with biblical principles and uh, certainly in this area of sexual purity, I want you to use a lot of discernment. So again, I'm just, I'm just living out him what these verses say in Proverbs 5 right now. So you love football. Um, what, what's it take to win a football game? good offense and a good defense. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. A good offense and a good defense, right? Can you win a football game with just good defense? No, sir. Probably not. You got to score a point, right? Yep. Can you win a game with just offense? No, you you got to have both, right? In this area of sexual purity, both are important. In Proverbs 5, that's what he's trying to teach is that defense and offense is important. He starts out by talking about defense and how important it is to use three things, discernment, discipline, and the ability to flee, just to get out of a difficult situation, okay? Now, I already know we've had discussions for the last couple of years about temptations that come to you, whether you want them to or not, and they come to your kids just like they come to Cody. I mean, the reality is um, girls are going to wear bikinis, right? Um, volleyball players are going to wear shorts that are too short. I don't, I've got an issue with that, but nobody seems to care about that. Um, you know, uh, you're going to see things on social media from girls uh, who have doctored their, their faces or their bodies, some that you know, some that you may never have a chance to know. Um, you are going to have buddies who um, actually ask girls to send them nude pictures of themselves. Um, and some girls will do that. And, and, and some of those guys will actually screenshot those and share them. That's going to happen. Um, you're going to be playing a game, and uh, images, pornographic images are going to pop up on your phone, just an innocent game or a commercial you may be watching. Um, that's real. We know that's real. Um, some girl randomly may send you a nude picture of her on your phone. You know that's all a reality, right? 
What I want you to understand, what the writer of this book thousands of years ago wants you to understand is when that happens, you have to use wisdom, you've got to show discipline, and you've got to run from that. You understand? And, and I do too, because it's not, I'm just not saying this to you. The same thing happens for me. And I, I love your mom, and I, I have to be willing to do that. The, um, to use Jesus's hyperbole, man, it would be better to be driving down I-35 and throw your phone out the window if something pops up on there than to actually pursue and click on that. Um, that's defense. Now, the dude in Proverbs, he actually talks about offense too, and this is maybe more than you want me to talk about here in front of all these people, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool, man, the offense part, because when you get married, then all the goodness of being faithful and disciplined, gets you get the reward for that, you know? You, you have a legacy, man, and, and it's a cool one. You're, you're, my dad was faithful, to, to his wife um, up to death and, and then faithful to the next wife until her death. Your, your grandpa on mom's side was faithful and um, I am working hard to be faithful to your mom. Um, you have that legacy to live up to. Um, but more than just because of legacy, man, it's because it's the best thing for you to live life that way. And there will be a woman and you will get to have sex with her. She, you'll be married to her. And, and you will be faithful to her. Y'all will become one. Y'all will maintain your individual identities, but you will become one, and it will be great. It will be satisfying. It will be three things. It will be pure because it will just be you and her. It, it will be private. doesn't need to be shared with others or spilled into the streets, and it will be pleasurable. It will be fun. It will be adventurous, and it will be exciting, and I will stop now before you start turning colors, but it's really cool. Um, but the deal is this, the enemy is going to come against you in one of those ways he said, or one that I can't imagine. And I want you to be ready to flee because God has big stuff for you and he wants to see you succeed. And I love you. All right. That's what Proverbs 5 says. You guys need, just like I need, to be applying those truths in our lives. It's just critical. And we're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short because none of us are righteous enough. That's what it says. But man, if we let our eye turn and we pursue that and we choose not to flee but to pursue, we end up in a spot that leads to adultery, that leads to death. And God loves you so much, he just doesn't want that for you. And it's important to him, not just because of you and your marriage, but it's important because your marriage is a metaphor for your relationship with him. And consistently in scripture, he points that out. And he, and he says the same thing about his people. He's like, sometimes y'all are just like adulterous folks. Y'all just turn away from me. And Ezekiel, he says this really clearly in this verse, how I've been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. Listen, he's not even talking about their behavior. He's saying their hearts turned and their eyes turned. We can do that if we're not careful. God wants us to stay faithful to him and he wants us to stay faithful to the person that we marry. And that's hard, but it's worth it. Because we want to stay faithful all the way down to the next section here in Matthew. 
where it talks about divorce. It says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Um, look, I've done this for a career and I know divorce happens. And Jesus even himself says right there, there are times when divorce is necessary. Um, but that's not what he wants for the people that he loves. He wants marriage. He wants fidelity. Why? Because he, he thinks his way is the only way. Well, I don't know, but I can tell you this. Secular researchers, liberal psychologists, and the government have researched this out the wazoo. And guess what? Married people live longer. Married people are physically healthier. Married people are mentally healthier. Married people are happier. Now, most of the married ones that show up to me wouldn't seem to bear that out. But over time, they are happier. <laughs> married people have better sex lives. Married people make more money. Married people have less domestic violence, physical confrontation. Married people have healthier children. That's what liberal psychologists in the government says, not what God says. Well, it is what God says, but I'm just telling you where that research came from. You guys, man, marriage is worth it. Marriage is hard. There are times when it's not gonna work. What Jesus is really speaking to in this passage is the fact that there was so much, this is hard for me to get my mind around. I just wouldn't think it would have been that common, but there was so much divorce back in the olden days, back when Moses was going around, that marriage had just become a sham. It, it wasn't anything. I mean, nobody even cared. He said, yeah, we got married, but then we just divorced. And so God said to Moses, here's what I need you to do. So Mosaic law gave these certain parameters for why you could divorce. And it was actually more liberal than, you know, I think it probably should be. You can divorce for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus is saying, hey, you've heard that in Mosaic law, you can give a certificate to somebody and just call yourself divorced, but I'm holding you to a higher standard. You need to learn how to persevere, how to sacrifice, how to lay your own self aside to serve somebody else. You need to press through because marriage is just worth it. Again, I am not here to beat up anybody who's divorced. Not at all. Um, God loves you. Um, we love you. Here's a church. We're made up of a bunch of imperfect people sinning all the time. That is not the issue. But I can at the same time tell you that I don't really believe in marriage and stand for that. And, and if you know somebody that's considering divorce or approaching divorce or you yourself are feeling that, then I would tell you to at least look at these four parameters on the screen. Before you proceed or before they proceed, present these to them. So, I mean, grab your phone and take a picture of that. If you got somebody in your life that's saying, yeah, I just don't know if my marriage is going to work. I think I'm just going to throw in the towel. R write down or something those four things and challenge them to make sure they do those four things before they do. All right, there, humble yourself and submit. Are they applying all the biblical wisdom they can? Have they gone to counseling? Have they requested kind of prayer intervention? And, and have they intended one of these things called an intensive where they get great marital therapy in a short period of time at a super deep level? Have they done those things? And I don't know. I just know that God wants to see marriages succeed. And I get it all the time, you guys. I get people say to me, you know, the, the example we're setting for our kids is not what we want them to see, us fighting all the time. 
And somehow people have convinced themselves that it's a much better example to see for your kids to see you throwing in the towel and walking away. And I will tell you, the research doesn't bear that out. It's hard, but you got to work at it and you got to stick together when you can. Because God has this standard, but it's not just his standard, it's because he knows that's the best way for us to receive the blessings and to live the life that he's designed for us. All right, well, let's keep moving along to oaths. 33, 533, Matthew. Again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So there's this practice going on at the time where back in the Old Testament, you would swear by God if you wanted to give your word to something. Like, I swear to God that I will do this. And uh, people started to kind of feel convicted about that, I guess. And so they started kind of swearing by lesser things when they weren't quite sure they could pull it off. So they'd be like, I swear by Jerusalem that I will be over there to help you fix that fence. Or, you know, I, I swear by heaven that I will do this. Or I, I swear by the, head on, the hairs on my head. And, and that was common back then. And Jesus was like, stop it. Now your oath means nothing. Your word means nothing anymore. My standard is higher than that. I want my standard to be such that the integrity of your character as a disciple is that when you say yes, it's a yes. And when you say no, it's a no. We need this in our culture. We need yes and no and follow through people. We need to look different. Man, I... I get nostalgic and goofy sometimes and things seem crazy. And so I just start driving to West Texas. Man, you go to West Texas, they're about 30 years behind us back there. I said 40 years in the last message and somebody from El Dorado texted me and said, hey, so 30 years maybe, 30 years behind us. I don't know, they're pretty far back there. But man, when somebody says they're gonna do something, they do it. And they will kill themselves making sure that they honor their word. Let's be that kind of people where our word is our word. Look how all three of these things tie together, you guys. Man, our word, I gave my word to Christina that I would be faithful to her, that I would marry her and I would live with her, I would take care of her and all those things in sickness and in health. I gave my word. And man, the enemy just throws temptation in front of me and it's easy for me to turn my eye toward that and to want to go that direction with lust, which would ultimately lead to adultery. But I don't want that because I want to stay married. I want to have a happy, healthy marriage. These three, you guys, tie together, and God's standard is high because he wants the best for us. He wants the best for you. He wants to see us succeed. And he knows we're going to fall short. He says it right in the thesis statement. But he says, I'm here. Keep striving. Keep playing defense. Keep playing offense. Let's keep moving toward Jesus in that cross. Because the cool takeaways are, first, that Jesus loves you. He's interested in your heart more than anything, more than your marriage. I say this to couples who are in terrible places because I don't always know what the right thing to do is. I I know this. 
Jesus is more interested in your individual salvation than he is the institution of marriage. Regardless of anything else I've said, Jesus loves you and he died for you. Jesus is interested in what's going on in your heart. Second, talked about this at the start, talked about it last week. None of us can live up to God's standard of righteousness. We can't. We just can't get good enough. And if we get close, he seems to be raising the bar, which is okay. Just reminds me I'm falling short. And if I forget and the bar doesn't get raised, I've got Christina. That's what marriage is for. She tells me, you're falling short. We all need Jesus. And, And then third, you guys, marriage and your integrity mean a great deal to the Lord. They do. They just mean a lot to him. And uh, that didn't mean you haven't fallen short, you haven't failed, maybe you've lusted, maybe you've committed adultery, maybe you've divorced. He still loves you. Can't stop his love. Can't. And wherever you are today, right now, start here. Quit lusting. Quit committing adultery. Whatever it is, get help. Let's go forward. Because here's the cool thing. If we live that stuff right there, we may be able to accomplish that mission that Jose gave us as a church, to love God and love people and make disciples. But if we violate this stuff, we're not going to have the credibility to go out there and do what we need to.